1: Hey everybody. Welcome. And thank you for listening to this episode of Marriage Therapy Radio. My name is Zach. I'm here with Laura. This is part two of our talk with Emily Nagoski. We get into some listener questions. She continues to share insights around sex and intimacy. If you haven't found it already, go check out Emily's Come As You Are podcast. Um, it's basically a call-in show where she answers listener questions. You can binge all the episodes right now. Um, it's worth checking out. She is brilliant, as you know. If you've listened to part one, if you haven't listened to part one, go do that. Come back, listen to part two. I also want to remind you that Laura and I are doing a seven principles workshop, featuring the seven principles for making marriage work from all of John Gottman's research. Our first one's going to be in the first week of March. You can register now at MarriageTherapyRadio.com. We have uh, early bird pricing now through February, so go ahead and register at your earliest convenience. Don't wait, even though February is the new January that's coming up. We have a couple of really cool episodes uh, in the next few weeks. That I hope you look forward to. But right now, this is a very cool conversation. Stick around.
2: We, we got a listener question that came in, which is, hey, um, I hear you guys talk a lot about women who have low sexual desire. Uh, when you have a mismatch between partners in a heterosexual relationship, the majority of the time you're, ta- you're answering questions where it's the female. I'm in a relationship where it is my husband who has low sexual desire and right. that's like a double whammy for these women whose assumption is that the men are way hornier. And if he's Default, not... Default,
0: always ready for right. anything, yes, whatever. Yeah,
2: exactly. The wind blows or they see cucumber and they're like, yes, we are ready for it. And it's just yeah. kind of a, it's it's doubly difficult for these women and these men in these relationships because of that assumption. Um, yeah. So I'm not really sure what she... What she was asking other than can you ask Emily, can you ask Emily yeah. what this is all about where I'm I'm in a relationship and I'm I'm struggling because my partner is the lowest sexual desire partner and it really yeah. hurts. I have I'm questioning yeah. everything.
0: Yeah, that's great. That she's questioning everything because everything needs to be questioned in a situation like that. Mm. We like the narrative of uh, in a cisgender, straight, heterosexual type couple, that the woman is the low desire and the man is the high desire because that fits those scripts that we've been given. Right. Part of being a boy growing into a man is that you want sex all the time every opportunity for sex you will take and enjoy yeah and uh you already know everything there is to know about sex you can never express curiosity because that's like an admission that there's anything you don't already know you're infallible Mm. and a perfect performer okay there's lots of other details that we could talk about and then the script for the it's a girl type people is complicated but there's one subset of it that's like no but good girls don't Good girls don't want sex. They have control over their baser instinct. They have sex for their husband's pleasure and only for that. They don't want their own sex. So it sort of conforms with these scripts. But if we're in a relationship where the desire is flipped in the context of these same scripts, it's very distressing to our brains, even though among the couples who seek therapy for differential desire— it's 50-50 among straight couples, which one is going to be the low desire Exactly.
2: Partner. Yep. Mm. So
0: when they show up in your office, it could be either one of them. Mm-hmm. And yet the cultural narrative absolutely just is about low desire women and higher desire men. Why won't you go to bed with me? Type.
2: Mm-hmm. Thing.
0: And so when it's a low desire husband, he's only got access to three emotions as far as his script has said. Right. And now the horniness is gone. So what uh, he's going to need to create access to is all those other feelings. I had a couple in a workshop. One of the new ideas in the book is this thing I call the emotional floor plan. Do you know Jak Penksep, the affective neuroscientist, He's known in pop culture as the rat tickler? Yes. Um, yeah, I do not. He, he developed uh, a model called of primary process emotions, where there are certain basic emotions that all mammals have. One of them is lust. There's rage. There's fear. There's care, which is the attachment mechanism connected to that. Obviously, the panic grief system is what he calls it, which is loneliness, isolation, despair, grief. Mm -hmm. Uh, And there's at least one other one. Oh, seeking and play. Seeking is exploration and curiosity. And play Mm -hmm. is the foundational social behavior, engaging in a behavior just because it's fun For as long as you want to, because it is fun and for no other reason. Play. Play, seeking care, and lust are the approach motivations. And uh, uh, fear, rage, and panic grief are the aversive avoidance emotions. So when you're in a particular space in your brain, like if you're in the rage space in your brain, you're really pissed off with your partner, for example. Is that space in your brain like adjacent to the lust space in your brain? Is it a short trip from being in rage to being in lust as opposed to, for example, you're in play. Is that a long journey to get to lust from there? Interesting. Or is it maybe like much closer?
2: Yeah. I I mean, I would assume play, but you know, if I was, if I was going by pop culture, according to all of the holiday uh, homework movies, Lust and uh, rage are very close together. I hate you. I hate you. Oh, I have I know so I many feelings you.
0: about this. Yes. Right. This, yeah. No, that. Yeah, so the no, assumption that,
2: would be that those would be very bullshit. close. Yes.
0: Yeah. Turns out they are not even a little bit close. <laughs> they are not. They are neurologically so distinct from each other because the actual, this is sort of a side note from the original question, but the actual biological function of rage is you want to destroy something. Like, I need to get this out of my way mm-hmm. because mm. it is preventing me from obtaining something that matters to me. I want to destroy it. Is there a relationship between wanting to destroy someone and wanting to connect erotically with someone? Uh, no! I, no, no, no. Like, no. You know what that's I was called? Like, is this a trick no. question? Destroying someone <laughs> with sex has a name.
2: Okay. Mm-hmm.
0: The yes. The name is rape, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Like, we know that. Yeah, And yet, and so, like, I mean, don't even get me started on 2005, Kira Knightley, Pride and Prejudice, when Uh. Darcy proposes. And she's like, no, you ruined my sister's life. You're a total douchebag. And you were really mean to this other guy. She hates him. She wants to destroy him, but she is behaving herself. And then, and then the camera circles them and they, like, kind of almost kiss.
2: And you were like, no.
0: Oh, yeah, about so that. Yeah. yeah so it's mm, so and i am actually violating the rules by expressing my rage people are going to be oh, no. like they're going to be people who are uncomfortable with the fact that i got super angry that's okay about like yeah. a adaptation of a, of a novel like yeah. why there's yeah. no need to have such so many big feelings about that mm-hmm. right. so our husband who has lower sexual desire yes um has been locked off from his lust space because he has been trapped in some other space. Okay. And it's probably a space he doesn't Mm. feel like he has permission to name. Um, Mm. It could be physical health reasons. It could be panic grief. Yeah. It's often panic grief, a sense of Mm. isolation, trap, despair, because he's not allowed to Experience or express his biological need for affection and care to give and receive love. Huh. Um, he's like locked up in its total absence, which is isolation, uh, panic grief. Uh, and that can be triggered, suppose. So this couple that I was working with at the workshop, yeah, he was struggling with erectile dysfunction. Mm-hmm. And she thought that he was angry about the situation. Because all of us are fed the same standard set of lies about who's allowed to experience what. And anger was something she knew he's allowed to experience. And he had sometimes expressed himself in terms of anger because that's what he had access to. But when they drew their emotional floor plans, which is this activity that I have people do, um, mm-hmm. where they start with lust. And like what states of mind have easy access to lust? For a lot of people, it's care, seeking and play. Yes. Um On my emotional floor plan, there's a one-way door into fear from lust. Mm. But, like, I can't get to lust from fear. Like, this is the kind of detail Mm. that you get into. Interesting. So he draws his floor plan, and isolation is way over here. Uh, Fear, Panic, grief. And she has been assuming that he's in rage and is pointing at his rage space on the piece of paper.
2: Yeah. Mm.
0: And he says, he can't, like, name it. He doesn't say the words, but he points to the panic grief room that I have required him to draw on his map uh-huh. and says, but I'm over here. Huh. And it mm. changes the whole conversation because if she thinks he's enraged, then like the appropriate steps are really different sure. from if he's in panic grief, if he's yeah. feeling isolated and trapped and yeah. alone and like he can't even reach out. like He can't say the name of the emotion.
2: Wow. Wow. I feel like that an exercise like that, I really would love to see how you go about doing that. You keep mentioning this workshop. So what are you doing for workshops? You're working with couples?
0: Uh, so these days I am not. I'm in full book writing mode. Uh-huh. Um, so these uh, this I'm talking about workshops that I was leading before the grand panjandrum before the situation. Happened, yes, mm. and everything shut what did down.
2: Grand pan, the Grand PanDrandrum, <laughs>
0: which is, the Grand PanDrandrum. It's a,
2: sure. it's an a Emily British Empire thing it. that
0: I probably shouldn't use. <laughs> the Great Panini.
1: Yeah. got it.
0: It happened, and everything shut down. But before that, I would lead like weekend-long workshops with individuals and couples, and sort of whoever wanted to show up. Yeah, uh, and that was the beginning of my trying to use these terms. I took this basic science from Jak Panksepp and tried to make it functional. Other people have also tried to make it functional. Mm-hmm. Uh, John Gottman actually in Relationship Cure, which was published in 2000, I think used the existing version of this research to talk about it in terms of characters. Like the jester is in control right now or the the manager is in control right now. Um, And I'm transforming it from like individual characters to just like which space are you in, in your brain? And what is the relationship between that space and the space you would like to be in? And what are the things you already know how to do to get out of this space so that you can transition into a different one? Uh And how do you know you're in this space versus that space. What does it feel like? What do you notice in your body? What's happening in your thoughts? Mm. Uh, and what are what are your emotional feelings at when you are in X Y Z space? Um, so I transitioned to doing it. Uh, bef- I had a couple of things that were transitioned to online uh, when they were workshops in 2020, and I started doing it online. It actually works pretty well. Yeah, and it's pretty simple because it's just explaining. Here are the potential rooms.
2: Right. Mm.
0: Think about what it feels like to be in each one, how you know, how you get out,
2: Uh um,
0: and what is the path that you follow to get from here to there? Because many people will be like, so there's two situations that happen with low desire couples. The first one is, you know, partner A says, I'm sorry that this is what it is, but I'd be perfectly happy if we never had sex again. Sure. Yep. Mm-hmm. And if you're Peggy Klein plots, your next statement is, OK, so tell me about this sex you do not want. Right. Mm-hmm. Because usually the sex that's available is, as Peggy puts it, dismal and disappointing. Mm-hmm. And if you do not like the sex you are having, of course you don't want it. Right. Clearly, I love Peggy. Mm-hmm. I'm going to quote her again. <laughs> what she says is sometimes low desire is evidence of good judgment. <laughs>
2: mm-hmm.
0: Right. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. and so the the problem they're having is not a desire problem at all. It's a pleasure problem. Right. And the key is to, like, find a way to access pleasure together. Mm. And she has a group couples therapy that more and more therapists are being trained to lead that is highly evidence based. It is really effective at helping couples who are struggling to find to rebuild a connection through pleasure. And then there's couples, the reason I'm writing the book I'm writing is because uh, while I was writing Come As You Are, I had no interest in sex oh. <laughs> with this mm-hmm. husband who I'm like, I fucking earned him. He is yeah. amazing. Yeah. I'm so lucky. And I uh, no because I'm thinking and writing and reading right. and talking about sex all day, every day. And I'm so stressed that I just I got nothing left. Yeah. yeah. I love you and mm-hmm. I'm sorry. So I felt stuck. And the, my question was, where am I stuck exactly?
2: Uh-huh. Mm.
0: And how do I get from this place I'm stuck to I the it. lust space and mm. rereading uh, archaeology of mind, which is the book that explains all of this stuff. Most recently uh, I realized that I'm in the fear space. I was so stressed and like, just like working as hard as I could. I thought these ideas were important, but I had no idea whether or not I was going to be effective yeah. at communicating these ideas. And I wanted it so much and I was so tired Uh, I would follow my own advice, right? Responsive desire. You you schedule it. And you put your body in the bed and let your skin touch your partner's Mm. skin. And I would just cry and fall asleep. Mm. So why was I stuck? And how do I get out of that stuck place into back into the lust space? Mm -hmm. And I had to figure out which spaces are adjacent to the lust space. Turns out for Mm. me, it's mostly play and seeking. Okay. Mm. And only by understanding that, I learned that if I aim for the room next door to the lust space, Mm. don't try to get directly to lust because then you'll have the ironic thing of like, don't think about a bear. Don't think about a bear. Don't think about a
2: bear. Mm -hmm.
0: And if you're like, get to lust, get to lust, get to lust, but you can't, you can't get there. So you're like, try play. Yeah. Get out of fear and transition into a state of play with your partner and like, there's like basically a slip and slide right from play into the lust room for me. And
2: I
1: went to a and, real
2: special place with the
1: slip and slide and reference. My, this is something that Laura and I or our listeners can access like right now, like you teaching about this on your, like, is that something or is that that we have to wait no, for the it's book? it's in the
2: new book. Yeah.
1: Okay. That's cool. <laughs> it's a no, year away. I, I'm, I'm excited like about it. One year but away. Right. I mean, well,
0: like, I'll probably end up writing about it ahead of time. So, like,
1: like in a little look. Yeah. yeah
0: I have a newsletter which is the first place that I talk about stuff in public. So uh, if people want to like learn more about it, there'll be worksheets. There are are illustrations where you draw out your floor plan. Yes. Um, But like even just having this vocabulary of what the different spaces are. Yeah. Yeah. Is a starting place.
1: Hey gang, welcome to the new year. If you need a new year's resolution idea, have a suggestion. Stop putting it off and finally get life insurance. Fabric by Gerber life insurance is easy. All in one solution you've been waiting for. Most New Year's resolutions involve long-term habits, but they're quickly forgotten after a week or two. But with Fabric by Gerber Life, you can resolve to get your family life insurance, and you don't even have to do it again next year. Fabric is the quick and easy way to help protect your family and cross that important to do off your list. We did it last year. I feel really great about it. I finally have life insurance for myself, my wife, and both of my children. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get high quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric's new lower prices could mean potentially significant savings over other providers with great quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day It takes 10 minutes to apply, see your quote and then personalize your quote to fit your family's needs. You could be offered coverage instantly with no health exam required and Fabric has a 30 day money back guarantee so you can cancel anytime Protect your family today with Fabric by Gerber Life Apply today in just 10 minutes at meetfabric.com mtr. That's meetfabric.com slash MTR M-E-E-T fabric.com slash MTR Policies are issued by Western Southern Life Assurance Company not available in certain states and prices are subject to underwriting and health questions So protect your family today with Fabric
2: Okay, can I yeah. hold on Zach one second S-
1: no, I got, I got, I got, I me, 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 first, no. me first.
2: Fight. Okay, so I want, I want our listeners to be able to grab on because you mentioned something that's so cool about the way that the public can interact with your information is that you're compiling what can be oftentimes just very clinical and research based into very navigatable, digestible stuff, and you've made these worksheets for couples to be able to do on their own. So your book, come as you are is amazing. Very approachable. Lots of fun worksheets that you can even pull off of your website, I think, Mm because I've done it.
0: And there's a whole come as you are workbook. If you're like, I don't need the science explained to me. Yeah, I don't need to see examples Mm -hmm. of other people doing it. Just give me tell me what to do.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Do a worksheet. The book Burnout is amazing. Burnout, 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 Um, (laughs) that you co-wrote with your sister. Is that right? Yep. Uh, Mm -hmm. Is also and the workbook
0: for that is coming out in January. Shut
2: up. You're so busy. Okay. Actually,
0: Amelia wrote the workbook.
2: Thank you. Thank you, Amelia. And Amelia,
0: who is the most self-critical, pessimistic person on earth, actually said, the workbook's really good.
2: Oh, she was proud mm-hmm. of herself. Yeah. That's awesome. And then and then you also have uh your podcast with your sister, but Zach just told me that there was a second podcast. What what is this?
1: The Come As You Are yes, Podcast. The Come Let's As You there Are go.
0: podcast. It's an eight-episode limited series from Pushkin and Madison Wells. Uh it's eight episodes. It launched in October. So it's nearly all the way through. And it includes many of the most important central topics for, from Come As You Are that you get in like audio format.
2: I love that. This is
0: my first venture into like media.
1: Mm-hmm. Sort of though. But you also read, you read Come yeah. As You Are, which is when people get on Audible, I think it's delightful. Like just to have you be able to kind of like, that's, I love when people read their own books. Me so
2: too. Well, in your voice and fluctuation, the way that you just like get excited about stuff and it's very natural, right? It's not. <laughs> I it's, do. I get so excited. I know. That's good. <laughs> it's good to be excited about the work that you do. Um, I always recommend the audio format of Come As You Are to Couples because you're so fun and it's so inviting. Thank
1: you. Yeah. Do you, do you have time though? I got two more questions. Sure. Can, can you riff with us? Sorry. Laura's trying to shut it down. I'm like, no, we'll just put yeah. it in part one, part two or whatever. Just yeah. Be like, respectful of um, time. This is
0: like my favorite topic to talk about. I could do this all day.
1: Well, I just want I want you to riff on two things uh, and maybe separately. And I'll tell you what they are in advance. One is, uh, this is a cliche. They're both cliches. And one is the she says, I'm interested in being more connected to you. But I feel like every single time that we start something, you expect to have sex. Like if you touch me in the kitchen or something, I'm, I'm already afraid that you think that that means we're going to sex. Do you mean
2: intercourse?
1: Okay. Yeah. I mean, intercourse. Like she, she's like, and this is actually kind of happened yesterday. She's like, I'm interested in trying some of this stuff, but I know that the second that you start flirting with me, Mm -hmm. I go to this other place. And we talked a little bit about, isn't that wild that that's exactly what you want in your twenties? You're like, Hmm, please flirt with me so they can, you know, but then somehow it shifts. But what is the, it's a cliche that I, I you're nodding. You're like, oh yeah, I'm it's familiar very with common. this cliche. But like, but what is, what's going on there?
0: So that is about context change. Uh, so when there is an expectation that if I do X, then it's going to lead to all this other stuff. And you have a lot of built up gunk, for example, in your relationship around sex and initiation. Then she like, literally
1: said it's exhausting and overwhelming. Yeah. You know, so gunk. Is yeah, right there. just
0: like all this, like. I use this very silly metaphor of sleepy hedgehogs to talk about difficult feelings. Um, Okay. So over the course of a long relationship, you build up these accumulated little like difficult feelings or problems that never quite get resolved. And they're like these little sleepy hedgehogs in your bed between the two of you, right? And so if your partner reaches across and wants to engage erotically, they're reaching across all of these difficult feelings and unresolved conflicts that are like sleepy hedgehogs between you. And like, if we're going to get to each other, we have to like deal with all this junk first or we can't reach each other. Mm-hmm. And it's only over time that you build up enough of these sleepy hedgehogs that it interferes, that you start feeling this like complicated, like overwhelming. Ugh, we have to do all these things. Mm-hmm. And the solution is to take sex off the table. You are not going to be having any sex for the next three months, no matter how your partner approaches you. And so you can just like hug in the kitchen while one of you cooks dinner. And there's no expectation because it's against the rules.
1: I'm so I'm so proud of myself. Did you tell them that? I don't mind saying I said I said, what if do you think it would change if for like the next month? I said, you guys are not allowed to have sex. Like, sorry. Sorry, dude. It's off the table. Like you can't. And by the way, if you get, if you get turned on while he's flirting with you, too bad. So sad. There's no section not allowed. Yeah. Would that change everything? And they are both like, probably, mm. probably. Yeah. We'd probably do it just despite you. And I was like, I know. Yeah. Mm. That's, that's so what
0: happens weird? a lot. So standard sex therapy, sensate focus. The rules are like, you're only going to do your homework. You're not going to have sex while you're engaging in sensate focus. My very mm. first. So I trained as a sex therapist before realizing that I do not have the temperament. To be a therapist. <laughs> uh, but the very first couple that I worked with, we, my partner and I begin like standard sensate focus sex therapy. Uh, this is a couple that hasn't had sex in five or 10 years. They're in their 60s. And we're like, so rule number one is you're not going to be having sex. You're just going to be doing the homework. They come back the next week and we say, how is your homework? And they're like, well, we had sex twice.
2: Uh huh. Yeah. Like, yeah. <laughs> so either way, it's like
0: when it's against the rules, it's right. the thing that you want to do just to
1: which maybe is the, maybe as leads to my second sort of cliche question, um, which is you're in a relationship that where sex is not, not working out, but you, you go ahead and you have an affair and you have the best sex of your life. Yeah. Like it's like sex is so great in this other, is that, is it the same answer? Is it context dependent and sort of, or what do you, yeah what, it's what's So it's
0: partly context is so that you don't have the buildup of gunk and the difficult feelings and unresolved conflicts. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I'm sure Esther Perel would talk about how, like, the person you're having sex with in your affair is fresh and therefore, uh, as far as you know, is exactly the fantasy person you have in mind when you imagine Mm -hmm. who your partner is, as opposed to being the real, actual person who Mm -hmm. will not take out the trash. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Week after week, they don't do it. So part of it is that, but also part of it is that early in a relationship, uh the neurology of attachment the like fallen in love hot and heavy phase uh actively like that is immediately adjacent to the lust space in your brain right so it is Mm. easy to get from like beautiful new person who loves everything about me and doesn't know that i don't put the toilet seat down (laughs) Mm. is this limerence is this what we're talking about yeah that like passionate Uh like oh You're everything that I have ever wanted because I have not yet learned that you are just as far from everything I wanted as the Mm -hmm. person I'm married to. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's right next to lust as opposed to like 10 years down the road. um, The space you're in with your partner is you're generally not in like hot and heavy fallen in love. You have to like create a deliberate context. You go to a bed and breakfast in the Poconos Mm -hmm. and deliberately create hot and heavy In order to like have that passion and it is normal and healthy for it to work that way. Mm -hmm. And also, I think one of the most important things is that this comes from our, in the new book, I call it the desire imperative. The idea that the desire for sex is... The best thing about sex, and that if you don't have mm-hmm. that like lusty, longing, can't wait to put my tongue in your mouth feeling, uh-huh. then you're doing it wrong. When mm-hmm. in fact, what we learned from Peggy Kleinplatz's research and John Gottman's research and uh, Barry McCarthy's mm-hmm. research like so many people who talk about the couples who truly do sustain a strong sexual connection over the long term it's not about desire, desire mm-hmm. is beside the point. Yeah, what matters mm-hmm. is pleasure. Do you like? Yeah. The sex that you are having. Mm. And when people struggle with desire because the pleasure is absent and they try to fix the desire, Mm
1: -hmm. they're
0: missing of the point. Yeah. Mm. They need to work on the pleasure. And yeah, pleasure is more complex. Yeah. There's... our brains have these tiny little hedonic hotspots that make pleasure happen, whereas desire, all wanting, is this like vast network of dopaminergic circuitry that extends through our whole entire brains. So I think when people have great high desire sex with uh, somebody new, that so matters really to them intense. because they believe desire matters
2: mm. instead mm. of pleasure. Yeah. Hmm. We wrote an ebook a a while back that was like five dirty words you shouldn't use in a relationship. And I'm going to go ahead and add spontaneity or spontaneous sex to that because when couples come in and that's what they are seeking is I just really want to have spontaneous sex. I'm like, okay, we're going to spend an entire (laughs) session talking about how we're going to (laughs) throw that out the window and say that is, that is a long gone thing. That's not going to happen anymore. We're going to create experiences for you, like going to the Poconos We're going to pull out all the vibrators, all the lube. We're going to turn on all the lights and the candles and the chocolate sauce and everything is going to be very manufactured because we've got to create that context. But I'm going to add spontaneity. You're just
0: listing things that activate the accelerator. Yeah. And do any of those things get rid of the
2: brakes? No, you're right. And I think that was something that you might have mentioned is like, how are you expecting to go anywhere if your foot is firmly placed on the brake pedal? Yeah. Right. You're just making smoke. You're not going anywhere. So if you can find yeah. the context to be able to release the brake, then you can start to lean into the gas, yeah. the accelerator. Yeah. Which
0: That's really what going to the nose is about is let me get away from my house. Right. And my family. Yeah,
2: <laughs> that's so true. Um, OK, I have one final question for you. But Emily. I did I did
0: want to say that, like, if you want to have spontaneous sex, go ahead and have it.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
0: See, because that's not what people want. People don't want to have sex spontaneously. They, they want to want sex
2: oh. spontaneously. Mm-hmm. Gosh, that's so true.
1: Yeah. People, when, when I hear that, I'm like, they're like, well, I just, you know, sex and blah, blah, blah. I just want it to be spontaneous. I'm like, uh, how's that mm-hmm. working
2: out for you? Right.
1: Like, is that, because sounds like you can just kind of, great, Yeah. Go for it. And they're like, no, well, we busy, two kit uh, blah, blah, blah. And so one thing that I love that you're doing is really truly changing the vocabulary around this topic for people, because It's, it's those old scripts that they get stuck into. That's really, yeah, that really does create this this dilemma. It's all (laughs) lies. Final
2: question. This episode is going to come out after New Year's, but it doesn't matter. Do you believe in New Year's resolutions or setting goals or having a purpose or an intention for a new year as that comes out? And if you do, do you have any thoughts on where you're going what your intention is, or your goal resolution.
1: Like, my New Year's resolution is to publish this. Yeah.
0: Book. yeah, my my New Year's resolution is to finish this book, okay, uh-huh. so that it, it can be published and I can finally like fully share these ideas with people. Love it. I think people, I believe in thinking about the future to like figure you believe out
1: children are the their future. future? You want. If we teach them well and let, let them, them lead, lead, the lead the way, way. Like.
0: show them all the beauty they <laughs> possess <laughs> before it's a copyright violation. Sorry about that. (laughs) Uh, So if I were a couple that was listening to this and was like, I want to set like a sex resolution. I would want them not to Definitely don't set a resolution for the frequency with which you're going to have sex. Thank you. Because there is right. no relationship between frequency of sex and pleasure. If you have sex every day and one of you really doesn't like the sex you're having, There's that room. is that is not it. That ain't it, kid. Okay. <laughs> Instead, set a resolution to experience different pleasurable sensations deliberately and with intention. Okay. Or... Um, so the very first episode of the podcast is an interview I got to do with Adrian Marie Brown, activist, organizer, author of uh, Pleasure Activism, which is a glorious book that everyone Ooh, should read. Okay, And I was like, so I work from home and I get really like stuck in my work mindset. I leave my office, but really like my brain is still in my office. Do you have any suggestions of what will help? And what you suggested has truly changed my life. She said, develop a gratitude for pleasure practice where every day you sit and think about a pleasure you experienced For which you are grateful. Hmm. It's really, it's specific and small, but each day my husband and I talk about like a pleasurable thing we experienced that we're really glad we got to have as part of our day.
2: It doesn't have to be sexual.
0: No, not at all. No
1: cheesecake or like an extra, like a feeling you had in your, after a workout. And it
0: changes your experience of pleasure in the moment because all day you're looking for a pleasure to Mm -hmm. include in your list. And if it's the cheesecake, it changes how you eat the cheesecake Yeah, because Mm -hmm. you're like, this could be a pleasure. That's the one I'm grateful for. And you're like, then I'm going to just like enjoy the bejesus out of this cheesecake. And it makes Mm -hmm. the pleasure more intense. And as I practiced it, that transition I make from my office out into the world huh. became so much more fluid. And I started like just feeling this powerful sense of beauty in everything that I saw. Like I'd see my dogs cuddling on the couch and just be overwhelmed with the beauty mm-hmm. of that. I'd see my husband in the kitchen making dinner and like, I'm already like attracted to him. He's super cute, but I would look at him as I practice this gratitude for pleasure and just be like, He's so beautiful. (laughs) There's this person in my kitchen and he's so beautiful. And and he likes me. He's a middle-aged white dude. Yeah. Yeah. He's not Brad Pitt. But like, how lucky am I that this person is here and making me dinner and he's got these pretty brown sparkly eyes. (laughs) So if I were going to recommend any resolution for the new year. Uh It's practice pleasure in new and different ways. Explore with curiosity, just different pleasures of all kinds and or begin a gratitude for pleasure practice.
2: Mic drop. That was such a wonderful ending. I love that. Okay. Well, we're going to go ahead and land this plane. This is amazing. We'll send people to your website (laughs) and all the places in our outro. But Emily, thank you so much for joining (laughs) us. And I'm so excited for this book to come out and it will obviously be added to our 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 Gottman professional book club that we do on a monthly basis. Very cool.
0: Thank you. This is really fun.
2: Thank you for listening to this episode of Marriage Therapy Radio. I hope you enjoyed having Emily on the podcast. We certainly did. We are just absolutely honored that she joined us. If you are interested in sending us some follow-up information, some follow-up thoughts, questions anything that was sparked during this conversation email them to info at marriage therapy radio.com you can also check us out on the instagram it's marriage therapy radio on the instagram Um, and thank you so much for all of your time and attention making your relationship better today than it was yesterday seeking the truth never gets old